Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Thank you. Meet Dad. He's a real man. Got a beer? It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Scotch? An all-out go-getter. But when his job pulled the plug on him... I'm fine. You son of a dude! They threw a switch. Go, oh. yeah. okay. Good luck. And he became the lady of the house. It sure looks like he got a terrific deal. Honey, if you call and I'm not here, I'll be at the gym or at the gun club. Exercise and relaxation. Good home cooking. Arts and crafts. Kenny! Don't paint your sister! And fun and games with the neighbors. Are these any good? Got two pair. Got plenty. That's when he was forced to face the bare facts. His new job is a mother. Michael Keaton. Where's Bobby? Keep the extra diapers. And Terry Garr in Mr. Mom, a mother of a comedy. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Mr. Mom from 1983. The studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date was August 19th, 1983. The running time, 91 minutes. The rating was PG. Not sure about the budget. Couldn't find the details about what the budget was. But the box office took in $64.7 million, making it the ninth-ranked movie of 1983. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 82% fresh from 22 reviews. The critics' consensus is, Mr. Mom makes up for its stereotype-driven premise with a sweet script and charming work from a well-matched cast led by Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 2 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. People have been living through the basic idea from Mr. Mom for years. It's too bad this movie doesn't feel more like their lives and less like the pilot for a TV sitcom. The movie's about a well-paid Ford executive who gets laid off and can't find work. Then his wife finds a job at an advertising agency, and her years of experience in the front lines of consumerism makes her a big hit with the clients. Meanwhile, her husband stays home to keep house and raise the children. There are so many genuine comedy ideas, and not a few provocative ones, rising out of this situation that it's hard to see how the filmmakers could go wrong. But go wrong they do with gimmicky sight gags and awkward fantasy sequences, stock characters, and unbelievable situations. What a lost opportunity. That's especially true because the cast is so promising. Michael Keaton, a kinetic young actor who gives the uncanny impression of being able to think faster than he can talk, plays the husband. Terry Garr, Dustin Hoffman's other girlfriend in Tootsie, is the wife. And Martin Mull is the snarky president of the advertising agency with plans for promoting Garr into his own life. Now, if they'd taken these characters and their situation and followed through on the implications on a believable level they might have come up with a true human comedy. Instead, everything is pushed too far, situations are overridden and overdirected, and the movie is desperate enough to throw in the vacuum cleaner with minds of their own, seductive next-door neighbors, and a team of local repairmen who show up on cue and look straight out of TV commercials. 
God knows there's enough in ordinary housework to make a comedy out of, especially if the hotshot husband is trying to learn how to run the house. Do we really need a scene in which he cheerfully puts four cups of detergent into the washer? Enough real things can go wrong around the house without the movie needing a monosyllabic female TV repairman and an exterminator who is afraid of bugs. Meanwhile, at the ad agency, Terry Garr is also having her problems with a script that strives for the predictable. She's brought into a conference on a tuna account. The agency's failed campaign presentations line the walls. She shoots them down and then comes up with a bright idea. Offer a 50 cent discount for the duration of the recession. Brilliant, eh? Except, wait a minute, the other campaigns on the bulletin board don't even look like professional presentations. They look like scrawls out of Mad Magazine. And her bright idea is obviously only in the movie because if she has a bright idea, you see, she'll get the job and attract the boss. No attempt is made to be perceptive or original about the idea of a housewife returning to the job wars as an ad executive. Mr. Mom gives itself away with its title, I think. The title is so obviously a concept, a brief encapsulation of what the movie would be about, that all the script needed to deliver was manufactured artificial situations inspired not by the experiences of joblessness or role reversal, but by memories of old TV shows. They had a great idea here. It's too bad they didn't follow it through on a human level, instead making it feel made up and artificial and twice removed from the everyday experience it pretends to be about. And that's the end of the review. So I don't often disagree with Roger Ebert, but I definitely do disagree with him for his review of Mr. Mom at the time. Now, I may be coming from a different place in this case. So when I first saw the film, I was a kid. I was probably seven or eight years old. So nothing I saw in this film was predictable to me. How could it be? All movies seem fresh and exciting at the time. So while I understand where a veteran of film, especially a movie critic, might be burnt out on a premise like Mr. Mom, I definitely was not, and judging by the box office totals at the time, neither were the moviegoers. I still think the movie holds up really well today, mostly because Michael Keaton and Terry Garr are so likable in their roles. Alright, let's get into the main cast. Michael Keaton plays Jack Butler, and Keaton had been acting mostly in bit roles on TV throughout the 1970s. But his big break came in 1982's Night Shift, co-starring with Henry Winkler, and it was directed by Ron Howard. He was hilarious as Winkler's friend running a brothel out of a city morgue, and from there he never looked back and was one of the top comedic actors of the 1980s. And then finished up the decade starring in the huge hit playing Bruce Wayne in Batman. Terry Garr plays Carolyn Butler, and Garr definitely was a veteran in Hollywood, starting her career in the early 1960s when she was 19. She appeared in minor roles in a few films and TV shows, but her big break was in the 1974 Mel Brooks film Young Frankenstein. Other popular films she appeared in included Oh God with George Burns, Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Richard Dreyfuss, The Black Stallion, and then the aforementioned Tootsie. Martin Mull plays Ron Richardson, and Mull started as a comedian and a musician, often performing uh, comedy and satirical songs. His break into Hollywood was through the 1970s TV show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. My other favorite film that Mull appeared in prior to Mr. Mom was as Chris Makepeace's father in the 1980 film My Bodyguard. Other great actors in this film include Angelian, Jeffrey Tambor, Christopher Lloyd, and Miriam Flynn. The director was Stan Dragotti, and prior to Mr. Mom, Dragotti's first major film he directed was the campy vampire flick Love at First Bite with George Hamilton, 
George Hamilton from 1979. And he would go on to direct three more movies, two of which I own. The Man with One Red Shoe with Tom Hanks, and She's Out of Control with Tony Danza, and then Necessary Roughness with Scott Bakula. I'm not going to tell you which two out of three I own, (laughs) but one is coming up. The screenwriter was John Hughes, and this is one of the few cases where the screenwriter ended up being almost more popular than anyone associated with the film. 1983 was a great year for John Hughes, as in addition to writing Mr. Mom, he also wrote another classic comedy, National Lampoon's Vacation. The year before, he wrote the underrated National Lampoon's Class Reunion. Hughes would go on to be one of the most celebrated film directors and writers in the 1980s. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So while the premise of the film may seem normal today, in the early 1980s, many men were losing their jobs and women were entering the full-time workforce more than ever in history. Men were more and more becoming like stay-at-home fathers, and today, both spouses are often in the workforce, and this seems like the, you know, the norm. But this wasn't the case in the early 1980s, which made this film rather refreshing at the time. It was kind of like how 9 to 5 was refreshing to see the female point of view in the workplace. Lauren Schuler Donner, who was the producer on Mr. Mom, had read John Hughes's work in National Lampoon magazine and thought he was very funny. So she called him and connected with him over the phone and they became friends. After discussing various stories for potential movies, Hughes told Donner stories about when his wife had gone on a business trip and he was in charge of his two young boys. Hughes had never gone grocery shopping and knew nothing about how to take care of kids on his own. He had been with his wife since college, and before that, he lived at home, so his mom just took care of him. So he really was like Michael Keaton's character in the film. He wrote about all of his experiences taking care of the kids and gave Warren his notes, and she loved them. He had 80 pages of script for Mr. Mom that he gave to her, and even the movie Vacation was based on his family vacations. So, so much for Ebert's review. Michael Keaton's agent recommended him to Donner and told her to see his work from the movie Night Shift. Donner adored his role in in that movie and immediately offered the Jack Butler role to him. You know, Michael Keaton is one of those rare actors that can do serious and funny and not miss a beat, much like Cary Grant. He's truly a movie star. Terry Garr was also perfect in this role as she, like Keaton, is a wonderful comedic actor, and the two really had an on-screen chemistry together. Garr could easily play a mom and a working woman, plus she was beautiful, all of which is a winning combination when starring in films. Not to forget them, but the kids in the film are all terrific. They don't seem like they're acting, which makes the movie seem real and fresh, and they deliver their lines perfectly. Also, I was about the same age as the kids in the film at the time, so the movie always felt real to me. There is a great story about the director, Standard Gotti, who by all accounts was very well liked by the cast, and his personality came through on this film. So Miriam Flynn, who played Annette, didn't like the sweater she was wearing on a particular scene. So Dragotti, who had a fashion background, noticed a woman walking across the street with a trendy sweater, you know, for the time, and went up to the woman and asked her if they could use her sweater for the film they were shooting. And as it turned out, that woman with the trendy sweater happened to be Patty Duke. They were also filming in Los Angeles, which is why there were movie stars walking around. So they wanted to film the movie, at least the house scenes, in Chicago because John Hughes was a Midwestern guy. But it was too expensive to film there, so the house had to be in Los Angeles. So Donner found a house that looked like you know a Midwest house. And the owners of the house ended up getting a whole new paint job and landscaping for their place due to lending it to the film. However, other parts of the house w- was actually a soundstage, especially when the house gets destroyed by various scenes like Jaws the Vacuum Cleaner. 
and Jillian normally had a longer hair and normally was blonde, but she had recently cut and changed her color to a brunette for a TV series she was going to star on. It was perfect for Mr. Mom, actually, because the main female character by Terry Garr was already blonde with long hair, so there was a discrepancy between the two. According to Donner, while the reviews are now considered good at the time, as I was mentioning before with Ebert, they weren't great. However, the film was a success and definitely helped Michael Keaton and John Hughes get their career off and running. So often this happens with revisionist history. Just look at all of those uh, album reviews from Rolling Stone magazine. They hated Black Sabbath, they hated Led Up, and then magically they're all in their top whatever list now and they rewrite their, their reviews. Yes, that happens often. All right, let's just get right into the movie. The opening credits score sound like a combination of an 80s soap opera and a typical TV sitcom at the time. And interestingly enough, the executive producer for this film was Aaron Spelling, who was a top-flight TV executive, also Tori Spelling's father, for my much younger listeners who remember Beverly Hills 90210. The movie starts like an average morning for the Butler family with Carolyn, who is, of course, Terry Garr, Waking up the kids, getting ready for school, and while Jack, Michael Keaton, gets ready for work, Gar is a stay-at-home mom while Keaton works at an auto plant in Detroit. Early on, we see the two boys, and they're acting like typical young kids. So Gar tells Alex, who's the older boy, to wake up his brother, who's Kenny, but don't touch his whoobie. So the whoobie is Kenny's favorite thing in the world, which is, it's like his security blanket. So Alex wakes up Kenny by, of course, grabbing Kenny's whoobie, and then there's a third child uh, that's an infant named Megan. Keaton, who is half awake, is brushing his teeth and gets into the shower with his pajama bottoms still on. So it's subtle things like this that, you know, the scenes that make Mr. Mom so wonderful and funny. So everything seems like your average middle-class family as Keaton heads to work with his carpool buddies. And the character actors are just top-notch as, as Keaton's co-workers are Jeffrey Tambor, uh, his character name is Jinx, and Christopher Lloyd, who plays Larry. And this is the first time I saw Christopher Lloyd in a movie, and soon I would adore his character Doc in Back to the Future. And of course, he was also known for his role as Reverend Jim on the TV series Taxi. So Keaton plays a likable guy who the workers on the assembly line seem to like, even though he's, you know, like an office suit. However, the plot takes the expected turn when Keaton finds out that everyone is getting let go. Why didn't you tell me this morning I was being canned? I couldn't say anything until it was official! Wait a minute! Wait a minute, guys! Wait! Jeez. You did it, didn't you? You fired these guys after all they contributed. Jack. Ah, oh, don't jack me after the support. Jack. Oh, man, after the devotion they gave you. You're fired, too. Now, you fired me. I'm, I'm fired? You son of a no! I'm not fired. Technically furloughed. Why don't you give me a break? I'm telling you, there's blood all over my slide rule. None of it's yours, Jinx. Oh, come on, come on. Something's gonna turn up. You guys, you guys are terrific engineers. You're too damn good not to catch on somewhere. Where am I gonna catch on, Jinx? Where are we gonna catch on? Nagasaki? The Roaring Valley? You're not exactly walking out of here empty-handed. You got your full severance, huh? You got your profit sharing? Yes. That's what. Christ. 
full pro rata refund for this month's gas. Great. So I have one more thing I want, Mr. Disability! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! That last scene is so well played by Keaton, and it's hilarious because he acts indignant about his co-workers getting the axe before he realizes he's getting canned as well. And when he finds out, it's typical Keaton when he loses, you know, he turns on a dime and tries to choke Jeffrey Tambor. Christopher Lloyd is also priceless in this scene when he loses it. So Keaton comes home to find the kids and, and Terry Gar trying to make him feel better. And there's a funny, almost throwaway line when Gar says that they're having uh, Colonel Chicken for dinner. And then Keaton sheepishly said, can we afford that? And then the older boy, Alex, hilariously said, let's enjoy it. It may be our last. <laughs> Great John Hughes dialogue. So after dinner, Keaton and Gar chat about what they're going to do, and Gar suggests she could go to work since she has an advertising degree. So Keaton, feeling sort of stereotypically threatened that he wouldn't be able to find a job as quickly, sets up a somewhat friendly bet with Gar that he will find a job before her. And so he puts up $100 to her $1 who will get the job first. And of course, Terry Gar wins as the next scene we see her starting her new job. You know, I think if this movie was made today, the movie would be, you know, way too long. It'd be over two hours long, and they would have gone through, like, an interview process for her getting a job. Instead, the movie's perfect. It's brisk. It cuts out the unnecessary scenes. So Gar is off to her new advertising gig, and we get to see Michael Keaton hilariously try to drop off the kids at school and then go grocery shopping. These scenes are priceless. They were my favorite as a kid, and they still make me laugh today. You know, something like, South to drop off, moron! Greatest line ever. Dad, you passed it! Passed what? We're right on time. But Dad, you're doing it wrong. Mommy doesn't do it like this. We're gonna do it the Jack Butler method. What is this? This is nuts. Why are they all honking? Because you're doing it wrong. Tell me I'm doing it wrong. I know how to do this. Hi, Jack. I'm Annette. Hi. You're doing it wrong. See? This is what I tell all my new mommies. We enter from the south and we exit from the north. And then we do just the reverse and we pick up. Swear, little ones don't have to walk between the cars to get to the learning facility. Okay, moving up. And remember, south to drop Stop off, up. north to pick Take up. Take them up. Okay, it's a good system. South to drop off, moron! So, by the way, Annette is played by the actress Miriam Flynn, and she is probably best known for playing Randy Quaid's wife, Cousin Eddie, in the vacation movies with Chevy Chase. Terry Gar's day doesn't go much better as she is overwhelmed going into the workforce in a huge high-rise office building for a top advertising firm, and immediately Carolyn Seymour, who plays Eve, is less than impressed with Gar and gives her the third degree. So Gar is thrown into an advertising pitch meeting. This is a typical conference room for the 1980s filled with lunch wrappers and cigarette smoke. Uh, so everyone is giving their pitches for the Schooner Tuna account. Nobody is taking Gar seriously as she seems kind of naive to the group. 
you know, these people are veterans trying to come up with a new advertising campaign, and she tries to make her thoughts known, but gets laughed out of the room. Martin Mull plays Ron Richardson. He is the head of the advertising firm, and he's perfect for this role. Eventually, you realize what a sleaze Ron is, and Mull plays this just perfectly. You truly hate his character in the film, and that is terrific acting. Next, we get another hilarious scene as Michael Keaton tries to go grocery shopping. It's absolutely a classic. Hey, Kenny, where are the eggs? Oh, there I have the right away. Right. Sorry. Here. Settle out of court. <laughs> oh, weirdo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, Kenny, did I tell you not to touch the grapefruit? Next. May I have a half a pound of uh, ham? Boiled, baked, smoked, salt cured, sugar cured, prosciutto, or Westphalian. All right, forget it. Just tell you what, just give me, uh, give me a half pound of salami. Italian, kosher, hard pork, beef, cotto, or what? Uh, just get bologna, mister. I'll tell you what, just give me, give me a quarter pound of cheese. American blue cream cottage gouda Edam, provolone romano swiss you have your entire cheddar family can you run the uh, hams oh, back one more time just i just want to stay right here okay coming back Half pound of salami, half pound of Swiss, half pound of ham, two celery. Oh, I think these are on special. Doesn't matter. Sorry. Let me check. Are these Kotex maxi pads on special? Never mind, Derek. Sorry, forget it. Kotex, 19 cent cost. Thanks. Sorry, Ken. My baby. Who are you? Steven. trade you my kid for yours thank you i don't have any kids do you see my little girl yeah she's adorable she's lost you left a child in a shopping cart Herb, one lost child lost child alert there's you oh. baby She's yours, and I'm Joan. Hi, thanks. And Carolyn told me you'd be around. Yeah. Can I get your hand? You can give me both of them. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, uh, Irv, clean up on aisle seven. Irv, we were never in aisle seven. I'm telling you, honest. That last scene was brilliant on many levels. It's well-paced. Keaton's delivery and mannerisms are just fabulous. The little throwaway lines, like when the older woman who crashes into Keaton's cart calls him a weirdo <laughs> gives her a, after he gives her a bag of chips to settle out of court. And then when Michael Keaton is trying to order from the deli and you hear the woman say, just get some bologna, mister. 
The checker at the store is none other than Edie McClurg, who is a great character actress. She's best known for playing the car rental woman uh, when Steve Martin goes off about not having his car in planes, trains, and automobiles. And she also plays Ed Rooney's secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all John Hughes movies. Another great part is Keaton trying to hide that he's buying maxi pads. And then, of course, there's a price check and McClurg has to announce on the loudspeaker if they're on sale. Keaton hilariously grabs the mic to say, never mind, Irv. (laughs) And for all that hassle, he saved 19 cents, but has a wealth of embarrassment. It's just a brilliant scene. We are introduced then to Joan at the grocery store, played by Ann Jillian. Uh, she's immediately seems like the town flirt, and you can you know, see that she has a thing for Michael Keaton right off the bat. The next day, we arguably get the most famous scene in the movie when Martin Mull comes to pick up Gar at the house for a business trip. So you will always know if someone is an 80s movie buff if they ever say it to you, 220 or 221, and then you have to reply, well, whatever it takes. Somebody must have died. Why? There's a limousine out front. Oh. Hey, you didn't say anything about a limousine last night. Well, Ron said he was sending a car, but he didn't say anything about a limo. I'll tell him I'll be right down. Ron? Oh, Ron. Hey, Ron. Maybe. Oh. Hello down there. Why don't you run and tell your mommy that Mr. Richardson is here? Stay right here. I'm not supposed to let strangers in the house. like to think I do. <laughs> Got a beer? It's seven o'clock in the morning. Scotch? Not during working hours. Oh, I'm sorry, pal. No problem. Come on over here, Ron. Let me show you what I'm doing. Taking advantage of some of the time off to uh, add a whole new wing on here. I'm going to rip these walls out and, uh, of course, rewire it. Yeah, you're going to make it all 220? Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Well, you sound like a pretty handy guy. This is a great scene uh, many years later where Michael Keaton was on David Letterman talking about 220 and 221. That's all. So, kind of now, in light of the Academy Awards the other night, one of the great uh, memorable, uh, often quoted movie lines is from Mr. Mom, um, you and Terry Garb and Martin Mull and and others, and uh, you're going to rewire the house. And uh, Martin Mull says to you, what are you going to use, the something something or the something something? And you say... 220, 221, whatever it takes. Right. <laughs> and tell us now about, about that scene. You're a guy out of work. you got to take care of the kids. Right. It was actually, uh, the movie was a little bit ahead of its time because at the time the economy was not good and, and the idea of a dad, uh, a man, you know, taking over the household thing mm-hmm. was not, maybe not revolutionary, but close to it. It was, you know, kind of groundbreaking in right. that sense. And so 
Um, there's in this scene, uh, uh, Martin Mall's coming over to take Martin's really funny, and was coming over to take Terry on a business trip in a, in a private jet, and I'm and I and I remember doing the scene, and we were always you're always, home with the kids, your I'm wife's the out kids. flying the world in a private right, jet, and I, and I and I thought you know the guy probably feels very emasculated, sure. and, I, and that wasn't necessarily written in, so I'm constantly thinking, how do I make this scene work? Where I'm, I'm scrambling around. So at the last, we were getting ready to shoot, and I said to the prop guy, I said get me uh, get me a, like a Get me a chainsaw. <laughs> so he said, "Kid, I'm thinking he's gonna go. I can't get you a chainsaw." He finds he has a chainsaw. Of he did, yeah. And then he, and then what's even better? He holds up these bad plastic protective glasses. You want these? And I went, "Oh yeah, I definitely want those." <laughs> so, so that's how that happened. And then I like tried to act real, you know, like dude. And he's uh, he comes up and he's and he's doing a scene and he's like, <laughs> Martin's so great. He's like sussing me out, knowing I'm, you know. Like very insecure at this point, and so we run the scene a couple of times, and he goes, uh, "What are you going to do? What are you going to do there?" And he's asking me things I have no idea. Mm -hmm. The character has no idea what he's even talking about. So he says, "You know what you ought to say?" He said, "When I ask you how you're going to wire it, just say, you know, 220, 221, whatever it takes." <laughs> that killed me. That killed me. I just thought this is hysterical. <laughs> Going back to the actual scene of Mr. Mom, Keaton's absolutely hilarious. He's got this maniacal look on his face when he enters the house with a chainsaw. He's got like a Detroit Lions hat on backwards. You know, ask, the, ask Ron if he wants a beer, scotch, you know. Also, the, the look that Terry Gard gives him when she first sees him is priceless. We quickly find out that Gar was hired pretty much because Mole's got the hots for her. So while she has to deal with that, Keaton has to fight off Angelian and all the appliances in the house. The vacuum cleaner is named Jaws and it runs on its own. He tries to do the laundry only to have the machine go haywire and then all of the repair bin happen to arrive at the house to fix things at the same time. This scene was pretty much copied from the original Freaky Friday from 1976 with Jodie Foster. Sure, we can. Let's get some more in there. You know, when your dad was in the army, we had to run a tight ship. There were no ships in the army. Just put the laundry in there. Dad, can we fix lunch? Sure. Anything but uh, tuna. your horizontal hold? I don't know. Your wife says you do. Well, she ought to know. Come on in. I'll be right back. I get 45 bucks an hour. Oh, Megan. You're making me crazy here, baby. You're making me nuts. Yeah, yeah, I love you, but you're making me crazy. Stay. Hey, Kenny, go keep an eye on your sister. Play with her or something, all right? Go watch TV. You want some chili? No, thanks. Hey, where's your mom keep the vacuum cleaner? You mean Jaws? Your mom calls the vacuum cleaner Jaws? Yeah. Where is it? Over there.
Exterminator! I can't hear you! Exterminator! What? Exterminator! Go to the front door! Okay! Just the pilot on your water heater. Okay, by me. Hi. Anything wrong? No, no. Fine. Fine. The vacuum cleaner had a remote control motor put into it and it was run by a crew member and that's why it could go on its own. So even as a non-parent, I knew that infants should not eat chili. <laughs> Keaton is priceless when he has to change the diapers as he's basically wearing a makeshift hazmat suit. Where's Bobby keep the extra diapers? Hey! Cowards. Oh. Holy back! Oh, man. In the meantime, Keaton is still trying to find jobs, but the workforce is pretty depressed and jobs are sparse. So next we get the infamous company picnic where Keaton is talked into joining uh, one of the races in which it's obvious that Mole has to win every year. Keaton realizes that even though he knows he could win, he better not for the good of his wife's job. What's great about that scene is the terrific use of Chariots of Fire theme in the company race. It's also a great scene because it shows how much Keaton loves Gar and also displays 
what an arrogant scumbag Martin Maul is in the film. So then Keaton's is starting to lose touch with reality as he's getting addicted to daytime soap operas. Please, please kiss me once more. You know where that's going to lead to, don't you? I want it to lead there. I want to feel alive again. I can't believe people actually watch this stuff. So I'm not the father of the child. Well, that's some consolation. Just who is the culprit? You don't want to know. Well, let me guess. Probably the deceased Mr. Cashman. Ha! Wrong, Vic. Wrong. Nikki doesn't even love you. Come on, Vic. Open your eyes, buddy. She's been making it with your friend Kevin. You mean Kevin Bankman? That's exactly who I mean. Watch, she's going to blame it on you now. You threw me at him. You let him know it was perfectly fine to take me to San Francisco, only he took me to bed first, and it's your fault. <laughs> Did I tell you? I knew it. Gee, wake up, Vic. She already buried one husband. Do you think that I'm going to let that get into the record for everybody to see? Or for the child to find out later on? I think we'll just have a, a no-fault divorce. We don't get along. It's certainly true enough. No, Nikki, I won't do it. Listen, I've been thinking about this. Dad? Yeah? This is cold and the cheese isn't hardly melted down. Okay. Come here. There you go. That's right. My own flesh and blood. Oh, Kevin, you are such a fool. That's right, Nikki. I'm a fool. Daddy, Daddy, my whoopie's ripped. Ken, you know what? Maybe it's time to get rid of the whoopie, all right? No! 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 Okay, all right, all right. Give me it. Give me it. And that'll help too. Much. He wants that baby. It's more than just pride, Nikki. It's all too much. There you go. There's no Okay, listen, I'd appreciate it if you guys kept it down, okay? Because uh, Nikki's going to get the results of her blood test back today. Is it Kevin's baby? We're not sure. Kevin's a skunk. Kevin gets all the girls. You sure got Nikki. I love how while he's ironing clothes, he uses the same iron to heat Alex's grilled cheese. <laughs> or he uses Kenny's toy sword to smash the rogue popcorn maker. So Keaton is becoming one of the girls as now he's having a ladies' night with Terry Gar's friends. I'm going to bet 25 cent Wheaties rebate. Oh. I'm going to uh, <laughs> raise you Van de Camp's pork and beans and no tea. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to see your 25 cent Wheaties rebate and uh, raise you two tender vittles dollar offs. Okay? That's it for me. I'll fold. Jack, why are you dealing me this garbage? I'm out. This is so much more fun than Bridge Jack. Thanks so much for thinking of it. Girls. Girls. Come on, are you going to play cards or flap your gums? Flap my gums. It's getting ugly in here. Hey, come on. All right, all right. I will see you your tender vittles, and I'll raise you a 50-cent yo play and a $2 rebate on a Domino's pizza and a two-for-one-cent pure frozen entree. How about that? Oh. Whoa. It's serious poker. <laughs> Any of you ever try those Sun Pure frozen entrees? Oh, my dog wouldn't eat them. I love them. 
I do. I'm calling you with the 25-cent new and improved band roll-on and two 50-cent triple-ply hefty bag offers. What do you got? Uh -oh. <laughs> She's blessing. This is it. <laughs> Are these any good? Uh, well... We've got two pair. We've got plenty. Hi, kids. Hi, Mom! Yeah. Oh, no, don't get up, don't get up. Geez, is that late already? Well, oh, we were just finishing, yeah. Carol. Oh, okay. Don't be silly, don't get up. Oh, pizza. Well, I, I got a ton of work to do. I, I, I'll go upstairs. Keaton and Gar finally have it out as Keaton is not doing well as a stay-at-home dad. Um, service, madame. Oh, thanks, but uh, Ron gave me this tuna presentation to do and I'm really way behind. Well, you gotta eat something, honey. Well, if I wanted something to eat, Jack, I would have come down and had something to eat with you and your girlfriends. All right. Let's get into it. Get into what, Jack? Get into this. The house is a mess, Jack. The kids are a mess, Jack. You're a mess, Jack. I'd leave anything else out? Want to talk about the beard? All right. The beard's in its transitional stage right now. That's all. When it comes in, it's going to look great. It's going to look like a movie star. Uh, what's his name? Orson Welles? No. I'm... Oh. Orson Welles. <laughs> oh, I get it. Fat jokes, right? That's real uh, funny. Yeah, I've put on a couple of pounds. So what? Come on. What else do you have? You want to talk about this shirt for a second, Jack? All right. You've been wearing this shirt around the house for about two weeks now. It can walk around by itself. Why don't you retire that thing to the Dry Cleaning Hall of Fame, huh? Because it's a comfortable shirt. Jack, take a look at yourself. You've really thrown in the towel, honey. My brain is like oatmeal. I yelled at Kenny today for coloring outside the lines. Megan and I are starting to watch the same TV shows, and I'm liking them. I'm losing it. Honey, I know what you're talking about. I've been there myself, all right? Well, if you were so unhappy, why didn't you say something about it? Because I wasn't unhappy. Look, maybe I was a little confused, maybe I was a little frustrated, but I knew what I was doing was important because it means something to raise decent human beings. And what saw me through was pride. I had pride in this house, I had pride in my kids, and I had pride in being Mrs. Jack Butler. Where are you going? I'm going downstairs and sleep on the fat couch if I can get through the door. You'll be sure and take pride in some of that fat! Porky. There's a great fantasy scene where Keen now becomes part of the soap opera he's addicted to. Jack. How could you? And Joan? Joan, you're supposed to be my friend. He's too much man to be left alone, Carolyn. Really? Honey, what are you? Please, Carolyn. Come on, it's just a one kiss. I'll bet. Honey, what about the kids? The kids are just outside. I've thought of the kids. The kids won't hear a thing. Shoot me. Shoot me. You're right. God knows I'm guilty. I deserve it. Tell me something, Jack. What did it, huh? The boredom? The repetition? The days, one flowing into the next? The loneliness? Well, I did it, Jack. I did it for eight years. Don't you think I know? I say goodbye, darling. What? 
love the shirt. <laughs> Could you, Jack? I was coming by to call you back. Holy cow. What'd you use, a 38? Uh, 38, 39, whatever it took. Bye, darling. Tough luck, Jeff. Jack. You bet. See, it's funny, Roger Ebert bashing all these scenes, but to me, that's what makes this, this movie very unique and fun, and I still enjoy it today. Eventually, Keaton has an epiphany and decides to shave off his beard that he's been growing and get some self-respect back. It's another great use of a classic movie theme, this time Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. Once, again, once Keaton cleans himself up, this leads to a heartfelt scene with Kenny and his whoopee. Listen, Ace. You and I have to have a man-to-man talk here about your whoopee. Your whoopee's looking bad, bud. Now, wait a minute. Now, listen to me. I understand that you little guys start out with your whoobies and you think they're great, and they are. They are terrific. But pretty soon, a whoobie isn't enough. You're out in the street trying to score an electric blanket or maybe a quilt. And the next thing you know, you're strung out on bedspreads, Ken. That's serious. Now, give me the booby. No. Kenny, come on, man. No. Okay, give it to me for a couple of days. If it doesn't work, you got the booby back. Please. Guts. Can I have a moment to myself, please? Absolutely. You got it. to do it. 
Dallison Jaffe, who plays Kenny, is great in this scene, and Keaton, you know, is always amazing. It's funny, and it's a charming scene at the same time. Of course, Alex, who, who is played by Frederick Kohler, gets the perfect punchline at the end. And uh, speaking of the, the boys' room, I love that there's an old Eric Hippel poster in the room <laughs> who used to play quarterback for the Detroit Lions in the 1980s. Gar is doing terrific with her job, and her idea of the new tuna campaign is picked for by the head of the tuna company. And since she understands what it's like to be a parent who shops for groceries, she suggests the company should lower their prices temporarily as a sign of good faith to the consumers. This will get the consumer on their side. Her idea is a big hit, but this also means that she has to leave to fly to Los Angeles for a commercial shoot. And this happens to be on Halloween night, which disappoints the kids and Michael Keaton. The, re- the rest of the movie is a nice wrap-up of the plot. There's some great scenes that include the girls taking you know, Michael Keaton to a male strip club and <laughs> Keaton almost getting his job back, but then has to bring the kids to the interview. According to our records, since you and your associates left, production in your division is off by 23%, and costs are up 19%. Do you have any explanation for that? I'm a little confused here. I'm no longer with the company. Uh, I don't know, you might ask Mr. Latham. We have. Anne. Sorry, Jack, I covered for you guys as long as I could. You covered for us. Yeah. That's a lie. That's not true. Come on, Jack. Larry and Stan were in here. Now, they already admitted that I covered for them. Now, come on. It's time for you to be a stand-up guy. Larry and Stan would say anything you wanted them to say. They need their jobs. You want me to be a stand-up guy? Okay, I'll be a stand-up guy. I need my job, too. But what's going on here is wrong. If I did such a bad job, why did production go down and costs go up after you fired me? Huh? Look, I don't know what this guy told you. I don't know what he does with his books. I'm a car maker. I make cars. I'm not an accountant. But I'll tell you something. I take a lot of pride in my work. Dad? Oh, no, son. Son, you're going to have to get out of here now. This is a meeting. Just a minute, Alex. Daddy's talking. I know that's not real popular right now, you know, taking pride in your work, but I did. I cared. You fired me for it. If you ever talk to my kid like that again, I'm knocking you out. Forget the paper. There we go. There we go. That's it. Would you forget the paper? Ironically, Keaton would be part of the auto industry again in another underrated film three years later called Gung Ho. So for me, Mr. Mom is often a forgotten gem from the 1980s, but it's always been one of my favorites, and my appreciation of this film has only grown as I've gotten older. It's a terrific situational comedy with scenes that are, you know, really delightful. I think the movie holds up really well. And, you know, I put in Roger Ebert's reviews because no matter what, whether I disagree with them or not, 
they're always well thought out and they're his opinion and that's all they are. Some fun facts about the film. Actors that were considered for the Jack role include Chevy Chase, Michael Douglas, Steve Martin, John Travolta, Robin Williams, John Goodman, and George Siegel. Some actresses that were considered for the Carolyn role, Karen Allen, Jane Curtin, Farrah Fawcett, and Sally Field. For the role of Ron, Dabney Coleman, Jeffrey Jones, Jack Nicholson, and Burt Reynolds were all considered. See, I think Dabney Coleman, it would have been too close to 9 to 5, and Jack Nicholson was too big of a name, along with Burt Reynolds. Michael Keaton actually turned down Splash for Mr. Mom. I think that worked out well for everyone. Tom Hanks is great as the lead in Splash, and though Keaton would have worked well too, uh, I, I think it just worked out for the best for everyone. In another Splash connection, Ron Howard was offered the job to direct Mr. Mom, but then, of course, turned it down for Splash. All right, we got three guests this time to talk about Mr. Mom. We have a first-time guest, which is very exciting. Steve Wright from the Potter Than Hell podcast joins us. We have Eric Sinzak, who eventually will have his own podcast coming up called The Car Crash in the New Year. Again, I'm recording this in 2019. I try to keep this as non-dated as possible, but sometimes it's hard. Uh, And then we have sports and food writer Bill Roseberry, who's been on before. All right, we get all three of them. Let's have fun talking to them. And I will be back next week to talk about a random movie from my DVD collection. So it's always great to have first-time guests. And we have Steve Wright from the Potter Than Hell podcast on today. And it was great to chat with Steve a bit at this year's Rockin' Pod Expo in Nashville. And I heard about his love of movies in addition to all things hard rock and metal, of course. And speaking of Potter and Hell, I really enjoyed uh, the episode from a few weeks ago, which was Best Opening Riffs. And uh, I think I would have ended up picking up all ACDC. <laughs> so though I would have thrown in a little bit of Sense in the Universe from Sabbath. Uh, that would have been on there for me. But I love that episode. I love what you guys do. And, and before we get into Mr. Mom, which is why you're here, uh, tell everyone a little bit about Potter Than Hell and how it started and where everyone can check it out. All right. We are a, uh, a hard rock and uh, metal podcast. We cover a wide range of bands from Kiss to Maiden, uh, pretty much everything in between. We've been doing a little bit of the get into a little more extreme stuff once in a while, like a little slipknot and kind of stuff like that. And uh, it kind of started uh, my son, Dylan, who produces our show and is a co-host on there. He started listening to podcasts and he was, uh, you know, you need to listen to podcasts. I, was, I didn't even know what that was. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and uh, he introduced it to me and I got on listening to a couple different podcasts. And I'm, I found myself like talking to the podcast that I was listening to chiming in. And uh, I, I would go for my walks or a run and people would think I'm nuts because I'm like like yelling out loud like uh, <laughs> there was one episode of uh, Podcast Rock City and they were doing a game show and I'm yelling like War Machine, War Machine. And people would look at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? And uh, myself and my other co-host BC and BB, uh, we sit on my porch like all during the summer and have a couple cocktails and just, you know talk about rock and metal. So we've been really podcasting for years. It's just never been recorded. So uh, I, I just wanted to uh, get her on going. That's awesome. And, you know, it's funny, considering uh, talking to yourself, everyone's on their phone now anyways with their little earbuds. So I, you were perfectly normal, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was like the older people looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Oh, sure. <laughs> <It was crazy. laughs> and then just hand them, you know, now you got to just hand them your card about, you know, 
podcasting and things like that. Yeah, here, check us out. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's awesome. And so, but you're on today. We're not going to talk. Well, we could talk about music, but for this, we're going to talk about movies. And I gave you a list of films that uh, I'm going to have as upcoming episodes. And you chose this one, the classic from 1983 with Michael Keaton and Terry Garr and and uh, Martin Mull. And so the first question I have to ask you is uh, 220 or 221? Uh, I like the 221. Okay, good. Whatever it takes, right? So. <laughs> That's right. Whatever it takes. 44, 45. That's right. 46. <laughs> so when you did you first see this when it came out, and or was it a you know something you saw on on TV, or was it a rental, or you know what was the first time you saw this, and and how did it resonate with you? Well, I'm actually dating myself. I did see this movie in the theaters when it first came out. Awesome. And uh, I saw it with my old girlfriend at the time, and I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a, a good, good, funny movie to, to see. And I was only, oh, God, I think I was 13 when I saw it. Yeah. So that what's I, me, it was, of course, it was it was I'm a little bit younger. So I saw it on home video. But it, as a kid, it resonated with me because his kids were probably about the same age as I was. And uh, did you see Night Shift before you saw Mr. Mom? Yes. OK, so you are yeah. you, you, you about Michael Keaton and how funny he was and and where he could go. Yeah, Michael that. Keaton and uh, Henry Winkler in that one. That was a good one, too. Yeah, and Shelley Long. Yeah, it's a, that's yep. a great movie to check out as well. So what about what about Mr. Mom just kind of resonated with you? Was it the the one-liners? Was it the scenes? Or was it, you know, being a kid and, and seeing a dad struggling with that? I kind of enjoyed the struggle. It was like, uh, here's a guy, he's, you know, used to working in the factory, and you can tell he's a, a big BSer, you know, when he's talking to the guys in the in the factory where he's saying, you know, you know, you guys remind me of the Rocky movie and like, and they're like, he didn't see Rocky, you know, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And then he's thrown into, you know, he loses his job and, uh, you know, his buddy knew all about it and didn't say anything to him. And then when he, you know, got home and then he's, you know, his wife gets the job and then he's thrown into just like total chaos and uh, just the, just the experience of it. The guy just like, you know, even the first day and he's dropping the kids off at school, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Just like that kind of stuff. Just like I, I thought was great. Oh yeah. South to drop off moron. I still say that, you know, that's right. <laughs> or him, him grocery shopping for the first time. It all seems cliche now, but it really happened. I mean, you got to do, if you haven't mm -hmm. done anything before that really, you know, it's a, it's a first time for everyone. I was nowhere near aisle eight. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there's some great character actors in this, too, and some big names actually considering, but that they don't have huge roles. You have Jeffrey Tambor, who plays his boss, Jinx, and then Christopher Lloyd's in it as well. Yeah, that was cool. And, um, like, I thought Martin Mull, he was the guy, he he played his role perfect, I thought, and, like, you just wanted to just, you just wanted to knock this guy out, because you knew he was eventually going to be making the moves on, on the wife there. That's right. And but as a, as any good movie, you need a good villain for the most part. And so if you don't hate the guy, it doesn't resonate as much. And he, yeah, as you said, he played that perfect. And he's a, he's a, he was a stand-up comedian back in the day. So he kind of had that charm. So that great line when of course 220 or 221 when Jack yeah. trying to impress him, he just gives this look without saying anything like, "Yeah, I know you're full of shit." Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is great. Also, the kids in the movie, I think, are really good. Like, they don't overact. They still play like no. kids, but they're cute, you know? Yeah, I, I love that. I love the kids, and uh, especially when he uh, takes the whoopee off the little guy and the, the other little kid's like, you, you had to do it. <laughs> Just yeah. like, it, it's so it's so cool to get, like, a, like an adult-type line off of a kid like that. But it, it, it seems very sincere, though. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and both kids did really well doing their, you know, the older kid kind of as the... Uh, 
the you know the wise one the stage and then the younger kid who's it was even growing up too you know he's he's going right. through that phase um terry gar is really good in this and of course i'm sure you saw her in young frankenstein before that and mm-hmm. uh, tootsie and uh yes th- it's an interesting way to look at it today because now i mean of course you know women are you know executives and things like that and and this was kind of a role reversal in her having to deal with you know martin mole and things like that how did you think that that character was portrayed when you when you first saw it and then viewing it now i thought she was portrayed really good especially for that time because like you said back then like it wasn't the norm to have a woman in a, a any kind of position of you know authority or anything like that and when she came in and she asserted herself right away when she said, you know, I don't like any of these ideas. And everyone was kind of like, oh, kind of taken aback right. that, that she would speak up like that right off the bat. That's right. And uh, yeah, she played that perfectly. And uh, even the other woman that because there was another woman in that and they kind of downplayed her. But even she was trying to warn her <laughs> in the beginning, like, right. don't don't yeah. say anything. Just kind of listen. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Lay low, lay low. Right, right. But she didn't. And, and it wasn't for her. I don't think the business would have uh, or at least that account would have succeeded. Right. And one thing that kind of struck me that um, you don't really see hardly at all anymore is when she went into that first meeting, everybody was smoking. Yes. Yes. You don't see that, you know, any time anymore, you know, you see anybody smoking they're They're out in their little hut or they're out on the porch or out outside. But, you know, you don't see anybody smoking indoors anymore. And she walks in that place and like I think almost everybody had a cigarette going in there. That's a great point. Did, have you seen a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? No, I haven't. Okay, same thing. Like this, it's supposed to take place in 1969. Everyone smokes, and it's it's crazy seeing because nobody does that anymore in film. Like they're no. making a conscious decision, unless of course it's marijuana or something like that. But yeah. that's a oh, whole yeah. different story. Uh, what did you think about? Um, it was actually her friends, so Terry Gar's friends, who eventually became Michael Keaton's friends. How did you feel about them? I thought that they uh, they kind of I think they kind of felt bad for him in the beginning. And then they, you know, their their friendship developed from that. And uh, especially when they took him out to the strip club. Yes. That night. The, that the male night. strip club. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he gave the, he said, I don't think you're going to be needing this. He gave it to her. He said, what's that? It's the, the stripper's phone number. <laughs> he gave it to the other girl. Right. <laughs> well, it's great because, of course, you had um, Aunt Jillian who played uh, the vamp, Joan, who was kind of mm-hmm. hitting on, on Jack the whole time. But the other one that's, that was kind of the underplayed one was Annette, who, of course, played Cousin Eddie's wife in the vacation movies. Right. Cool. And I like the uh, I like the poker game with the coupons, too. That was that was that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. They, this movie, I think, for me, still holds up. I actually see it. it, it many things are funnier now to me because they're more adult humor. Uh, how does it hold up for you today as it compared to when you first saw it in the theater? I think I actually enjoyed it more now with, uh, you know, being an adult and being a parent and, you know, some of that stuff, you know, kind of rings true even to this day. Uh, you know, when he's fighting the washing machine with it, when it goes crazy, you know, <laughs> just uh, stuff like that. And the one thing that um, you don't see now that uh, you saw back then was you had the uh, the exterminator at the house. You had the the plumber there at the same time and the uh, the, the lady fixing the TV. You That's don't right. fix TVs anymore. You throw them out and you get a new one. That's right. Yeah, you don't blow a tube anymore. Well, of course, yeah. he, he kicked the uh, his, yeah. his shoe through I found the TV. Your, yeah. I found your problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shoe. That's true. That is totally a flashback to an earlier era. You just none of, the, none of these service people come out anymore. You just get a new one. And, of course, the vacuum cleaner named Jaws, which was great. Jaws, yeah. And then he yeah. had total control over that after. Get in there and clean the kid's room. 
That's right. After a while, he, I, I think he, he became so good at it. You never, you know, he, he almost didn't want to go back to work. Yeah. But of course, he does get his job back and, the, and everything is right in the world. But it'd be interesting because today, I think both of them would have continued to work. I don't think she would have stopped because she had proved to herself right. she could actually do that. But I mean, even then, if you think about it, too, you didn't have the the preschools and the daycares that you have now either. So it's it was a whole different uh, dynamic trying to get, uh, you know, kids taken care of before they're at school age. Absolutely. And uh, and just the cost of living was you, you could have one income and, and do right. fine. And, and nowadays it's just especially depending where you live, it's just impossible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just get into Michael Keaton movies. What are your top five Michael Keaton movies? All right. Definitely Mr. Mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night Shift is definitely up there. I thought he was a fantastic Batman. Yeah. I, I, I really I really enjoyed those those uh, two Batman movies that he was in. Um, I can't think of the name of the one. I like the one where he was the uh, the bad guy with uh, was it Denzel Washington in the hospital. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. I, I can't think of that one where he was the bad guy and he was really, really good as the bad guy. He's I also really funny in the other guys playing uh, with Will Ferrell and uh, yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, that, that's really good. I'm trying to think of that's all that really comes to mind right off the bat. OK, he's great. If you haven't seen it, uh, he plays Ray Kroc in The Founder. Where he plays the, the founder of McDonald's that came out a few years ago. Uh, oh, that's that one I haven't seen. Yeah, that's really well done. And then an old time favorite for me uh, growing up was Johnny Dangerously. Oh, that. Oh, that. Oh, my God. The Lower East Side. It really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a complete parody on the old gangster movies of the third. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Joe, uh, Joe Piscopo in that one. Oh, so good. You know, I, my mother shot me once. Once. <laughs> that, once. Was a, that was a, <laughs> always a, a gag during that. A couple other yeah. great ones. Uh, Gung Ho, if you ever saw that one. Oh, I saw that a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Where he, he works for an auto. auto. Actually, ironically, he works for an auto plant in that one, too. Yeah. Um, Beetlejuice, of course. Of course. And, and that uh, one I didn't care for. Much. I really? don't know about that movie. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That one was weird for me. Well, even just him. I mean, I don't think anybody else could have played that role like him. No. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Steve. Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate the uh, the plug here you're giving our podcast. And uh, this is great. I love movies. And um, I'd be happy to come on anytime again. Awesome. And definitely check out Potter Than Hell. All right, we're back. It's not a first-time guest because he was on for the Iron Man episode, but we're going to talk about Mr. Mom, and it's none other than Eric Sinzak. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Glad to be back. So I'm not sure when this is coming out. It may come out when your new podcast comes out, but if it isn't out, let's talk about it a little bit. It's going to be called The Car Crash. It's a media podcast. And again, if you you missed the Iron Man episode, we talked a little bit about it, but why don't you give a quick little synopsis about what you want to cover and and how um, it kind of relates to media and, and your love of, of all things media. Uh, yeah, so it's called the Car Crash Media Podcast. I'm going to be premiering it next year, uh, hopefully early next year, maybe February, March, something like that. Uh, I'm going to be recording a few episodes, talking to a few other podcasters and uh, focusing on uh, 80s, 90s, uh, early 2000s, just whatever kind of you know tickles my fancy. Um, and just sort of, you know, I like, uh, movies, music, TV, anime, just sort of stuff that's, uh, pop culture related. Um, big fan of Star Wars, Robotech, uh, you know, those are my things that I really grew up loving and, uh, but also soundtracks are really huge. I'm a big Blade Runner fan and Vangelis was one of the things that I really love, but, and soundtracks are what I originally wanted to just talk about, but other things I really 
you know, wanted to talk about were some of the actual, you know, things like we're talking about today. We were talking about Mr. Mom. That was a right. nostalgic movie from, you know, the 80s. And so uh, we did an episode about Iron Man. So I, I wanted to talk about, you know, something like that. So that's in the Marvel Universe. And, the, you know, the Marvel Universe is really awesome. There's a lot of stuff in there that we could talk about. And, of course, there's, you know, tons of movies from back then that I think just uh, they captured a really great time and era. And, of course, you know, composers and soundtracks were, were really awesome. Uh, you know, I love John Williams and people who scored really wonderful soundtracks. And so that's just some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about from in my podcast. And of course I'll be reaching out to other podcasters to see if they can have them. I can have them on my show. There's a few guests that I know that I'll, I'll have on the show. Uh, I'm going to be asking some of my friends from uh, the entertainment industry to come on. Uh, I know some people in the movie business, some people in the music business uh, to come on. I know some actors and some people in special effects uh, to come on and give some input and insight on some of their experiences in film and TV. Uh, so that's just uh, sort of what I'm going to be talking about. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like you kind of get the inside baseball, which I personally, I love that stuff. And that's kind of what we do here as well. And, and we'll get right into uh, Mr. Mom. And so the first question I've been asking people if they've seen Mr. Mom is it 220 or 221? What, what are you going to pick? Uh, 221, yeah. Yeah, okay. 221. Whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> whatever whatever it takes. Yeah, that's right. It's so great. <laughs> this movie is, I, I don't know about you, I think this was the first movie I saw Michael Keaton in. Like, I, I, I did see it in the theater because I was too young, but it was definitely a rental that my parents, you know, could pop me in front of the TV with. And I was just, I adored Michael Keaton. Like, he was just funny, but he also, you felt like he could be a cool dad and, and uh, just a perfect character for this film. Yeah, he he's he was just so perfect for this role. Um, I never I always saw him as just uh, you know the he was a little bit of bumbling dude, but he also seemed to just pick it up and just yeah he was like I loved him. He's the comedy timing of this was just perfect. Um, you know the writing was was great in this movie. Um, and every time I look back on it, I have fond memories of it because you're right. It just seems like this is the movie that I grew up watching like on rentals or just watching like on cable. And it was like, my parents were like never worried about me watching this movie right. when I was a kid. <laughs> You're right. And, and there's so many great scenes, whether it be, you know, him uh, trying to drop off the kids for the first time and, and the parents are yelling at him and honking at him and then he goes grocery shopping. And yeah, it kind of seems a little bit cliche now, but it's still hilarious because people go through these things. If you've never done any of these things before, there's certain life instances that are, are really humorous and, and um, John Hughes is the one that wrote this and he totally nailed those things. That, that is something I didn't realize. I didn't realize John Hughes wrote that, but, yeah. uh, it does fit, it, it, yeah, it does fit his, uh, comedy style. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the pickup and drop off stuff when he's going through the line and just, you know, you're going the wrong way. Right. That, <laughs> you know, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> and, and I've sort of been, the, you know, I just grow, you know, having kids now and looking yeah. back on it and, all these things. It's like, I, I've had those days, you know, trying to get everything done and, you know, stuff's not going right. And Kim's at work. My wife is Kim and she's at work and I'm trying to take care of stuff. I, I relate on a, on a number of levels. Uh, and I think most dads who've dealt with stuff have, have thought about this and almost everybody, you know, in, in our age bracket has, has seen this film and remembers stuff like this. 
Right. I'm curious to, if a, if someone younger were to watch this and it may seem weird to them because it's not a big deal for, you know, uh, women to have their careers. And so Terry Garb kind of almost being a high powered uh, executive, not executive yet, but, she, you know, in, at an advertising agency. And she was eventually very well respected because she ended up getting the account for the company. Uh, people wouldn't really bat an eye at it. And, but then, I mean, it was a big deal what she had to deal with and, and what, you know, she had to fight off Martin Mull, who was a great villain. Martin Mull, yeah. Yeah. I, that's the whole, the, the days before sexual harassment training and right. dealing with your boss and all that, she, climbing the corporate ladder and all that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, she was getting the schooner tuna account. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he played the typical handsy boss and yeah. wanting to always, yeah, but it's, and she couldn't tell him, tell her husband what was going on because, you know, and then eventually he finds out, but uh, these are, this is a quintessential early eighties snapshot of what life was like for a woman to go back to work or go into the workforce. Right. You know, and I think, that's really interesting because you're right. A lot of people who are, you know, I guess millennials now, if they were to look at that film, they would say, Oh, well just go talk to HR, go talk right. to, you know, and just tell them what's going on. This yeah. guy's grabbing you. That's not how that worked back then. Those people were, you know, wouldn't have, nobody was there to, to say this, you know, this is not going to, they're not going to help you. Right. So, Sort of women just sort of dealt with it on their own, and that's a shame, but it's true. It happens. It is, and you look at those those boardrooms, and uh, everyone's smoking, and there's like it's totally a it's a boys' room, it's a it's a boys' club, and uh, for her to come in and really be a fish out of water, and then to make her uh, make her point, make her stand, and bring something to the table that nobody else was seeing because she was in that world that they were trying to pitch to. Uh, really, it, w- it was kind of nice. And so I think a lot of people may have missed that side of the movie. And, and because the fun side is Michael Keaton, but even he had to deal right. with um, harassment in his own way from one of her friends. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Joan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bedroom. Yeah. Changing that all around. And then she's laying on it. Yeah. Later on. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's, uh, yeah. It's when you see it and they're both living sort of a separate path that they you know it was strange they both took this separate track going a different direction and then they were like wait a minute everything's weird (laughs) you know but it's it's an interesting study in in that time period i think it's a funny movie i think they did uh you know a really good job making it and i love the kids i love uh you know dad my whoopee yeah. You know? <laughs> so as actually, they bring up a good point. So as a parent, have you had to deal with a, a security item uh, that you had to take away from from your kid? Never take away. I've never had to take it away. I've had to uh, sort of gently let them outgrow some things, right? Um, you know, and then and I do. Uh, I did it on their own time, um, but it was like you know, you're like, hey, this is it's kind of getting a little long in the tooth for right. a couple things here. But, you know, I, I, I eventually noticed that, you know, they sort of let themselves do it. And a, cu- a couple of things, the kids got a little, they were like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore on my own. My friends aren't playing with these things. Right. So they, <laughs> they would, they'd sort of realize after a while, Hey, this, is, this ain't cool. 
you know. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> and that's honestly the best way because if you if you push it and if you it may backfire, but in this case, uh, I think Michael Keaton played it perfectly, and the and the kid that played Kenny who who had it the Whoopi, he really played that well. It was it was a nice little scene. Then of course the older boy, <laughs> it's hilariously you had to do it. You had like consoling Michael <laughs> <Yeah>. Keaton. <laughs> Those are great scenes. Yeah. That was awesome. Also, I love the uh, grilled cheese. Oh, he yeah. Hires the grilled cheese. Yeah. This isn't melted. You know, and he hands it to him on the ironing board and melts it down for him. I was just, I thought that was so cool. That was so cool. He's like, that, you know, that, and you look at that dad, and that dad's like sitting there and he's like, I, I, ain't, I ain't cooking this. Just give it here. I'm just going to fix it. It works. Bam. It works. You know? yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm doing laundry. I ain't, I ain't fixing your grilled cheese. Just give me that damn thing here. <laughs> well, that, and then he was getting addicted to soap operas. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. I love it when he finally reaches that turning point where he's like, I cannot let the house get any worse. Yeah. I cannot let it go any further. I cannot look any worse than I am now. I have to clean up the house. I have to shave my beard. I have to get in shape. It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's better. And then he, he's like, he fixes himself up. I like that turning point he makes in the film. I think that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, and, and he realizes he's like, hey, I look like crap. I got to do something. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. And he was wearing the same shirt over and over again. And we we had uh, Steve Wright from the Potter and Hell podcast. He was talking about this movie as well. And he brought up a great, great point. All the repair people that come to fix things, you just don't see that as much anymore, whether it be the TV or um, the, the drapes or whoever. The, you know, they came over and it was kind of funny to have everyone at once, all the repair people at once come and, and try to fix everything. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you don't have a TV guy come to your house. So, you know, I mean, you might have a plumber, but yeah, yeah, but a TV guy, you don't have a TV person come to your house. No, you just buy another TV (laughs) at this point. Yes, chuck your TV, go buy another one. Yeah, Uh, there's so many little things in there that made it a great film. And I I really finally look back on my kids have watched it and some things they get, some things they don't. (laughs) They'll ask me about it. They'll what was that? You know, and like, oh, that, that means this, or, you know, that was from, you know, back then. And of course there's no smartphones. There's no, there's no cell phones, which was kind of, you know, interesting. I think, didn't Martin Mull have a car phone? In he the, did. In the- yeah. 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 And that was probably like considered like super fancy for the right. time. So yeah, that's a status symbol of the rich back then having a car phone, quote unquote. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, you had mentioned Vangelis, and uh, they, of course, used Chariots of Fire and the and the uh, office uh, race that, right. that Jack had to partake in, which, of course, he had to throw because uh, you can't show up the boss. Right. He's got a he's yeah, he's the boss. It's his tournament. Yep. So, yeah. He's got a yeah. He runs and he trips. Yeah. And one of the great thing is uh, there. It shows you how strong this movie is. There's two great character actors that work with. Michael Keaton in the beginning, and that's Jeffrey Tambor who plays his boss, and then Christopher Lloyd's in it as Larry, who's who's as oh, funny yeah. scenes too. That's right. And he asked Jeffrey Tambor comes back over to the house and was like, "Not now, kid." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets socked in the face. Exactly. He's like, "I told you," and, <laughs> and then he knocks him out, and the the kid's like, "One punch, one punch." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so when's the last time you watched this? And and as you said, it it, it still holds up for you. Uh, it's probably been three years two or three years since i've seen it so Mm -hmm. but yeah i think i I think i found it on amazon and was scrolling through amazon one night and saw it and i was like come on come on we're all gonna watch this 
And the kids were like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you're going to like it. Sit down. I made them sit down and watch it. <laughs> I think that's the funny part about movies. So, like, when I was a kid, there wasn't, and, and same for you, there wasn't, like, a ton on. Even when you had cable, there wasn't a ton on. And now there's just so many choices. Like, you don't really have to discover anything new because everything's so niche-oriented. And I think that's kind of lost to, today because there's a lot of movies I discovered simply because there was nothing else on. Yeah, and if you saw something and it was on and you're like, oh, that was kind of cool, I watched yeah. it. You know, wait two days later and it would be on again. And you're like, yeah. oh, it was okay. I'll just guess I'll watch it again. And then, you know, of course, they'd rerun it and rerun it and rerun it and beat it into the ground and there's nothing else. So you just keep watching the same damn thing over and over again. So, yeah. But, and it didn't have to be good. <laughs> so, but you end up liking no. it. <laughs> but that, that's how I watched Men at Work 50 times and how right. I called HBO, hey, Beastmaster's on. That's why I called it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, The Legend of Billy Jean's on for the 35th time, you know, stuff oh, like that. God, yeah, that movie got played so much. I oh, mean, it was crazy. Uh, they did. Oh, and actually, uh, movies that flopped in the theater, uh, they had renewed life because of that, you know, whether it be like Eddie and the Cruisers and, and movies like that. So, mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. My, my dad loved that movie. And, oh, yeah. I mean, if it was on, it was on. It was staying on. I mean, man. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. I miss those days, but we're old, so that's okay. That's why we have this podcast to, to for all the other old folks out there. So, <laughs> Again, thank you so much, Eric, and we'll have you on for uh, yet another movie. All right, great. Look forward to it. All right, you loved them on Hoosiers, so we needed another movie to do, and it's not going to be about sports, and that's okay, but it's about life. And what better movie about life, at least for a male trying to be <laughs> become a <laughs> uh, a dad or at least uh, a full-time dad uh, doing it on his own pretty much. And that's Mr. Mom. We got Bill Roseberry back. Welcome back, Bill. What's going on, Brian? Well, one, one thing I've been asking everyone that's been interviewed for this movie, 220 or 221, what do you go with? <laughs> 220. There is no 221. That's right. <laughs> whatever it takes, right? Right. Whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> How about a little shave off that mustache there, Ron? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> with a, and revs the chainsaw. It's just a, my who who better than Michael Keaton to play that role? Yeah, you know I was thinking about this when we talked about doing this this movie, and my introduction to Michael Keaton was in the movie uh, oh uh, uh, the Ron Howard movie Night Shift. Exactly, That's, that was his I mean, debut. That was his debut, and. And my parents loved that movie, and whenever I was a kid, we would watch that. And so the first thing I ever remember whenever I I, I think of him is him coming in and, and doing the Jumpin' Jack Flash thing when he's walking through the morgue. Right. You know, and and we, my parents fell in love with him from that. So did I as a little kid. So when this movie came out, we were all excited, and so we watched it immediately. So I'd seen this when I was real little, unlike Hoosiers which I didn't watch until I was adult. An adult, mm -hmm. I saw Mr. Mom when it was a, a new movie. Um, and I just absolutely love it. You know, he's he's great in it. Uh, everybody's great in it. I mean, from Terry Garr to, to him to uh, Christopher Lloyd, who doesn't have a great big part in it, but but he's great in it too. Martin Mull, I'm yeah. sorry, Martin Mull. And then... Uh, Jillian, um, and Jillian, yes, and Jillian, the, yeah, the vamp. She's the yeah, vamp. Yeah, she was great in it too. So, just, oh, it's a, what a cast. 
Yeah. And uh, going back to Michael, Michael Keaton. Yeah, me too. This was like one of those movies where it, it was it wasn't a kid movie, but parents could let their kids watch it. You know, it was that kind of it was a, a different era. Like they really don't make movies like this anymore. No, no, they don't. Um, and it was one of those things that I know I I heard something. Now, I didn't have time to look this up or whatever, but I'd heard that there was some controversy here recently over this movie because of the gender role reversal to it mm-hmm. and all that, 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 uh, people were kind of in an uproar about it, that it was, I don't know if it was sexist or whatever it was, which, which I don't get. I mean, I thought it was, it was empowering for her. You know, it was just, it was just a slice of life movie is what it well, was. If anything, if anything, yeah. it was ahead of its time. It was right. kind of in the, in the vein of nine to five in many ways, where you know they didn't make her a secretary she had she was in the big you know she was in the big big wigs room uh and coming up with with deals and 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 uh, proposals and uh yeah they didn't dumb it down for lack of a better word for her and uh no i think uh, you know back then it, it, you didn't have many two uh two income families it was like you know the either right. you know, the man went to work and and the mom stayed home and uh you know, actually, I think it was great because today I think people why probably watch and don't see what the big deal is. But you got to remember, this is almost 40 years ago. So what was it 1983? Is that 1983. What it That's right. Yeah. yeah so so uh, I, I thought it was a, a nice portrayal and it was written by John Hughes. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I've used that in some some trivia nights, actually. Uh, um, I've done some some movie and music trivia nights and I've I've done some John Hughes categories and I've used Mr. Mom movie quotes for that because he had written it. So, and I mean, he was, he was such a genius and in the top of his game throughout the 1980s. Absolutely. He did. Well, think about 1983 wrote this movie and he wrote national lampoons vacation. And both of them are, are based on his life experiences. Mr. Mom is based on his life because his, his wife went away for a few weeks on a business trip and he had to take care of the kids and he didn't know how to do anything. Cause he'd basically been with his wife since college. And before that, his mom did everything. So, you know, <laughs> if people think this is kind of cliche and everything, well, it happens to people, you know? Right. And I, you know, I have buddies that are like that, that, yeah. uh, you know, moved out and moved right in with a girl and they don't know how to do like me. I've been, I've been single so long and lived on my own. I mean, I, I can cook. I I cook dinner for myself all the time. I do all my own laundry. I do everything. Yeah. So none of that's hard for me. I could do some. I could do a lot of those things. I don't have kids, but right. You know, the home stuff I know how to do because I have to do it. Nobody else is gonna do it. That's right. That's so. right. So you we we both might have the problem with South to drop off, moron. You know that type of thing. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. again, you you mentioned the quotes. What are some of your favorite quotes of this movie? Because it's filled with them. One of them that uh, that I was thinking about today was when he's having the talk with Kenny about his whoopee. Yes. You know, and, and it's it's time for Kenny to give up his whoopee. And he sits him down and he says, Kenny, buddy, it's it's time to give up your whoopee. And and he's like, no. And he says, man, I, I get it. You know, whoobies are nice. You, you know, they're a lot of fun. They're great at first. But, you know, after a while, you know, you, you move on from your whoopee and you're on the street and you're trying to score electric blankets. <laughs> and then before you know it, you're strung out on bedspreads. Right. 
and the <laughs> kid's just staring at him. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant dialogue. I mean, that that is great writing, and and it's delivered perfectly by Michael Keaton. The dream sequencer. It's not really a dream sequence, but like the daydream sequence. This the soap opera kind of thing. The soap opera. Yeah. The Young and the Restless. That's great too. Oh I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the the whole thing with that. And of course the part where he's uh where they take him to the male strip club, that's a oh, riot too. And there and actually that's a good role reversal because I think in eighties movies it's always gratuitous TNA and things like that. And right. then you actually get it the other way. You know, the, he became one of the gals. Yeah. I love it when he when they're dropping him off and he's like he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out that uh piece of paper and he's like, uh, hey, um, uh, I don't think I'm going to need this. You guys keep it. And, he, and they're like, what is it? And he goes, it's that, it's this dancer's phone number. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually the, one of the, um, one of the women that he's friends with, that's Miriam Flynn, who is also cousin Eddie's wife in vacation. So there you go. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The, yeah. the lady that stayed home and watched the kids. Uh, yeah. I can't Annette. That character. Annette. Yeah. Yes. Annette that stayed home and watched the kids. You know, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. And so huh. again, 1983. Good year. Good year. And what's the character actor's name that played his boss? The one that they played Jinx. Oh, Jeffrey Tambor. Out. Yeah. Jeffrey Tambor. I mean, he's he, he, Jeffrey Tambor is a great, great character actor, too. And he was great in that movie, too. I oh. love it when he tells him, he goes, you talk to my kid like that again, I'm going to knock you out. Right. And when he yells <laughs> at him at the house, one punch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the kids the kids were great, too. I mean. Yeah, they did really well. And actually, you, you, when you talked about the Whoopi scene, the Alex, who played the older boy, got the got the punchline. Like, you had to do it, Dad. You know, that was perfect. Right, right. Yeah, Al, and, and I don't know. I thought I read sometime that those two never really went on and did much else after that, did they? No. The they played Alex and Kenny? No, they really didn't. And uh, what's cool is uh, Shout Factory, who has the best re-releases for Blu-rays, they actually did uh, a special feature for this film. And they actually had both kids on there, and they were talking about their experiences and, and how much they loved working with both Michael Keaton and, and Terry Garr. But yeah, I think uh, it looks like the kid who played... Uh, Kenny is still acting. He's doing like TV series, so it's probably maybe uh, lesser known TV series, but nothing, nothing major film wise. And Alex, um, just looking quickly at his IMDb page, he's still working too. So it, I think they're doing like TV shows and things like that. So that's wow. Cool. I I never noticed yeah. seen him in anything else really. You know, it's not like watching uh, you know, uh, uh, City Slickers and and there's Jake Gyllenhaal as right. Crystal's kid or something <laughs> like that. You know, or or Anthony Michael Hall in, in, in Vacation, something like that, yeah. Right, or uh, Last Emperor, you see Christian Bale, and, uh, you know, as a kid, yeah, it's tough right, for, yeah. for a child actor to, to really, um, and actually that was one of our episodes, uh, you know, the best child actors, and they didn't necessarily have to turn in anything, but it's amazing how many of them really, I mean, you have your your one-offs like Elizabeth Taylor and uh, uh, Natalie Wood and, and people like Drew Barrymore, but it's hard. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? There was another, another part in there I was thinking about too. Uh, uh, oh, I like the part where he, where he's, where he's at his house and they're having the dumbass, you know, race or whatever. And, you know, he, he oh, was the party, the company party. at the party at, yeah. at, at, at uh, Ron's house. And, I mean, he was going to kick his ass oh. and he looked over at her and he saw the look on her face and, and, uh, he just went down and let him win. And yep. God, that guy was such a, such a douche. But you know, that, that's a funny thing about stuff like that. It's like, there's some kind of, 
you know, as guys, you can always look at another guy and tell the guy that's a douche and right. and and has sometimes women can't pick up on that, but then women can do the same thing with other women that sometimes us as guys are oblivious to. It's that's just, right. It's just funny it's, how that works. But. It's a sixth sense, and you know what? Martin Ball played that character so great because you need a villain that you hate and and you totally you buy into it you really hate him and and the stuff he does you can kind of tell from the beginning he's like one of those guys especially back then and uh and carolyn you know terry gar you know holds herself really really well and and defends herself and she she does well by her own merits she's you know she proves herself and uh even if she might have been hired for the wrong reasons uh she proved that she deserved to be there with everyone else oh man was she she was so hot back then. Not, oh, yeah. not young Frankenstein hot. No, man. but that's like 10 years, 10 years prior. Yeah. Later, but yeah, she was still a very, very attractive woman. Well, she was in Tootsie too. So yeah, that's right. You know, I've never watched that. Oh, great movie. You got, you got, you <laughs> got to check that one out. I know. I, it's Mike always gets on me. How have you not seen Tootsie? But well, no, I've Bur- never watched Bill it. Murray's in it. And, uh, right. it's, of course, Dustin Hoffman and Dabney Coleman. It, it's great. It's great. And, you know, another funny thing about Mr. Mom for me personally, and I think I mentioned this to you just when we were talking about this, this is like my hookup movie. Started to see a girl or whatever, and and we'll watch this movie, and it's like my closer. I don't get it. It's like <laughs> Mr. Mr. Mom is my closer. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, it's really a non-offensive movie, and it's funny, and it's kind of got those life experiences that everyone can get behind, so. Right, uh, it's, yeah. it's a kind of a fun date movie too i mean it is it's fun for for guys and girls it's just fun for everybody absolutely and and look when you have a great script from a legendary screenwriter eventual director and a great cast that delivers it it's tough to go wrong you know my mom and i were talking about this the other day too and um i told her i was gonna do this and i'm she loves michael keaton and loves that movie sure but uh you know she was talking about how He's kind of gotten away from doing stuff like that now. Now, every time you see him, he's doing, you know, serious roles and stuff. Right. And I, I wish he would go back to doing some of that kind of stuff because he was a great comedic actor in the 80s. Absolutely. Even and, early 90s. Well, one movie he that's relative. I mean, it's not new, new because it's been out since 2010. But he, he has a great cameo, not a cameo, but a side role in The Other Guys with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg, where he plays their police chief. And he and he's really good in that. Uh, yeah, I watched yeah. I watched that one time, and I I I, didn't, I wasn't real real big on that movie, so go, I, I don't remember much about it. But. We're actually going to do an episode on it, so maybe I, I'll get you into it. But he's got some great lines in it uh, where he he really delivers. But you know, in the '80s, after this movie, he did Johnny Dangerously, which I think is <laughs> oh, criminally I, I, underrated. Talk about quote quotes galore. Uh, you know, anything from uh, Fargan Ice Hole and, and all those yeah. uh, Joe Piscopo lines. And uh, there's great stuff. My mother hung me from a hook once. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually used the uh, the uh, Fargan Ice Hole's uh, quote the other day for my movie quotes at the trivia night that I emceed. So, yeah, I love Johnny Dangerously. And another movie that I think is is underrated that he did, which I love, is Multiplicity. If oh yeah, seen that. I have, I have. Yeah, that, I I always thought that was great too. And he kept he kept uh, uh, you know making copies of himself. So that's yeah, right. It great, great. Movie. It, it was cloning before cloning got big. You know. 
Right. I think he had like six versions of himself. He did, and they're all they're all off in some way because you can't keep splitting your your genetic uh, makeup. And the other great movie that came after Johnny Dangerously was Gung Ho. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, Gung Ho. I haven't seen that since I was a kid, but yeah, that was that was fun too. And then of course Beetlejuice, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I haven't so. seen that in a long time either. So, so wrapping up, this movie still holds up well for you and you'd recommend it to people. And, and do you have any final thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I think it holds up. It's like, I mean, like we've been saying, it's just great for everybody. It's a great family movie. It's a great date movie. It's just, I mean, it's, it's a guy movie. It's a girl. I mean, there's a little bit of everything in there. It's empowering for, for women, for what she went through. Like we were saying, the way she, she um, excelled at her job at a at a, um, a boys know, club. It, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just uh, it's a great movie. It's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm really glad we had you on for it, and hopefully we'll introduce the younger folks to it, and uh, and people that haven't seen it while will hopefully go back and and return to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. I love doing this. So you know, anytime we got a movie that that um, that I know about and I I'm really stoked to sit down and talk to you about it. Awesome. Awesome. You have an open invitation as does your (laughs) buddy. (laughs) So good talking to you, Bill. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Hey, this is Brian Davis and you might know me from the damn good movie memories podcast. And now get ready for the bad beat show on that metal station.com from 11 PM to 1 AM Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the bad beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. 
And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original, Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. This is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass, guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, that's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up. <laughs> <laughs> 